Before you had kids, did you have a plan of what life would look like? My plan for the rest of my life, I think, I was probably going to have more than two children, which I haven't. I've had two. Um, and I was going to be this amazing mother and nothing was going to ruffle my feathers. And that is just not how my journey in motherhood unfolded at all. Today on Feed, Play, Love, recalibrating when life's plans unexpectedly change. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. My school friends and I often joke about how we all believed that we would be married with a couple of kids and a kick-ass career by the time we were 30. The reality for most of us, however, was that a combination of financial insecurity, career aspirations and being unlucky in love meant we didn't actually start having babies until after 30. And then once the babies came along, they put the kibosh on having the career we imagined. There's nothing quite like becoming a mother to alter the plans you previously had. Georgie Abay is a former deputy editor of Vogue, founder of The Grace Tales and author of Best Laid Plans on Finding Magic in Life's Most Challenging Moments. Hi, Georgie. How are you? Hello. It's so, so lovely to be here. You had a dream as a young girl to work at Vogue and then after a lot of hard work became the deputy editor. Was that dream all you expected it to be once you got the job? You know what? It was a dream that I had from a very, very young age, I would say from when I was a tween, um, and I worked very hard to get there. It's sort of um, once you get to where you want to be, you often forget all the hard work that took you to the place that you really wanted to be. But it was definitely not something that was straightforward. Um, I worked at Vogue twice, actually, um, under two different editors. And the first time just did not go to plan. It was not what I expected. Um, it wasn't the nicest environment. And I sort of was left feeling like I've worked so, so hard to get here and this just isn't the right fit for me. Um, and so I left and I ended up going back under a different editor um, who I um, had worked with for a couple of years. And it was just, it honestly, it was the dream. She was, she still is the editor of Vogue, Edwina McCann. Um, she was a brilliant boss, but she was also very, very smart. So it sort of, it taught me that, you know, our plans eventually work out, but sometimes they just take us in a really sort of windy, twisty way. So it's, um, if you just sort of stick with it and, um, and stay determined, you can get to where you want to be. Let's go into that a little bit more because I cannot let you go seeing how <laughs> that title, Deputy Editor, I am sure you would have a thousand stories. But when it was the job that you imagined, what did that entail? Gosh, it, it honestly was. It was a dream career the second time. Um, it entailed a lot of traveling. So I got flown to Paris to watch Chanel fashion shows, which just even saying it out loud just sounds <laughs> totally ridiculous. I remember once I got flown to the south of France to see a Chanel cruise collection um, and then I went to this picnic. I remember actually I, I was given some Chanel samples to wear and I actually ripped the Chanel jacket because <laughs> I was too big. I never actually did fit into sample sizes um, because they're impossibly small. Um, but it was, it was very, very, very glamorous. And at that stage in my life, I didn't have kids. So 
my life was my job and then socializing on the weekends and going to the gym and thinking about what I was going to eat for dinner. And I'd stay in the office late. I'd go to events and, and I could just completely throw myself into my career. And yeah, I mean, the money is appalling um, in magazines and you can barely afford your rent and you definitely can't afford the clothes that you're writing about and putting in the magazine. But there are so many perks. I remember I was um, a gold Qantas um a gold frequent flyer member. Um, and then after I left Vogue, I got the letters, you know, you are now silver, you are now bronze. Now <laughs> I, I'm probably like whatever is below bronze. <laughs> I love um, how you describe that because I think that's, I think when we imagine getting the job we've always dreamed of, we think that it's, that's the end, that's the happily ever after. And uh, life stories aren't like that, are they? So you can find your happily ever after and then life changes and it's not what you need or want anymore. Exactly. And another chapter begins. I think a lot of people get um, uncomfortable when a chapter finishes because they they think, okay, well, here I am and I'll just stay here. Um, But there's always change. I mean, that is sort of the one given in life that nothing will ever stay as it is. So you describe a job there that sounds absolutely incredible, but also I think for every parent listening, <laughs> when you were talking about going to the gym when you wanted and just deciding what you wanted for dinner and everyone's like, oh, I don't even, I don't even want to travel. I just want to do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so things do change a lot once you have kids. What was it like going back to work after you had your first baby? You know what? It's, it's funny because... I was given flexibility. I was working four days a week. One of those days was from home. And that was way before COVID when working from home was, no one really worked from home. So I thought that I could do it. It sounded like I could do it. I had a bit of a rough time with my, um, well, both children. Um, They were both premature, but my first baby was six weeks premature. She didn't sleep at all. So even at seven months when I went back, I was very, very sleep deprived. I think I was still suffering from sort of anxiety um, following her birth. Um, but I was like, I can do it. And there was a period I would say of a couple of months where it felt great to talk to adults. It felt great to get dressed in an outfit that wasn't jeans and a t-shirt with food all over (laughs) you. Like you feel like an adult again and you feel like a little fraction of your former self comes back. Um, but then there was also rushing home. She used to go to bed at 6 PM and rushing home and to find that she was asleep because we had a nanny in the early days. Um, and only spending an hour with her a day and going to work after you haven't slept all night. And it just, it slowly chips away at you. And then you're returning back to the office and you're trying to pretend like you're not a mum because you don't want to appear that you're not as good as at your job as you used to be. Because I think that's probably an internal judgment that all mothers put on themselves that I'm not as good as I used to be, or I can't do this job anymore. So, um, yeah, so I think the, the positive side of it sort of yeah, over the months was um, replaced with just guilt and I actually just can't do this anymore. And also, this isn't my dream job anymore because you've got a new job. I was a mum and it was the realisation that I could not do this all anymore. There's so much in just that one response, so I'm going to pick it apart a little bit. Um, One of the things I find really interesting about your experience and, you know, my babies now are eight and ten, so... My experience, I'm hoping when I had my babies is different for women today, but something you spoke about there was being part of a company that has said, we want to be flexible. We want to make this work for you. And it still doesn't work. 
and the environment is not set up for it. You talked about being um, trying to find somewhere to pump milk. And I remember being at a university and being told to pump in the toilet. Oh my gosh, that is horrible. Isn't it? And But you think, I think now surely that doesn't happen anymore. But You think it doesn't happen. And I think, yeah, breastfeeding, I mean, that was, I was like, right, I'm going to continue breastfeeding because I was only sort of seeing her for an hour, an hour and a half a day. Um, I was like, that's the one thing that I can do at night. I drop my feeds right back. And yet I was given flexibility, but then there was no counsellor for mums. There was no resources for mums. There was no one that sort of said, hey, are you okay? How are you doing this? It was sort of, I mean, everyone, I get it. Everyone's so busy and they've got a job to do. Um, but little things like a feeding room, like trying to feed and then having people like bang on the door asking when you're going to be finished is just like <laughs> stressful because they've just been to the gym in their lunch break when you've been sitting there like a cow. Um, do they know how hard it is to pump as well? Like, exactly. Seriously. Just to relax. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like the milk flow, it was not flowing, which is why I pretty much gave up, I think, two weeks after I went back. Um yeah, I definitely think in so many organisations they lose a lot of amazing talent because mums, you know, you don't become a mother and all your talent just like falls, you know, goes away. Um, but so many mothers drop out of the workforce because they just don't feel supported. There's obviously the issue of how much childcare actually costs and the percentage of a household income that is going on childcare. It's just, it's sort of, it really is an impossible situation. And the other thing about going back to work and we're talking, I mean, the book's called um, Best Laid Plans. And like you said, you went back into the job saying, I can do this. This is a job I've worked for so hard. I love it. I want it. I'm going to do it. Can you talk to me about that moment? You mentioned there that you got to the point where you said, this isn't my dream job anymore. What was that realization like? I think sitting in meetings, I, I think I became even more efficient after I became a mum and sitting in meetings and that felt mostly pointless, um, just thinking I, I'm just wasting time here. And just, you know, there was so much I wanted to achieve in a day because I knew I had a hard finish at five or 5.30 I finished, which was a whole other issue because everyone would be in the office until seven or eight and I would feel so awkward walking out at 5.30, like I was sort of taking an early mark. Um, which, <laughs> which you weren't. Which I was not. I was going you know, home to another job, obviously. Um, and that probably was all in my head um, or not. It's sort of, yeah, different workplaces um, make you feel different ways. But um, I just, I fell out of love with fashion. It The world that felt so important to me just felt unrelatable. Um, I looked at the cost of the clothes that we were putting in the magazine and I just thought, this is just not my life. I now I'm in jeans and a t-shirt and, you know, I'm never going to earn enough money to buy the clothes that I'm writing about. And it just, I, I think I was sort of moving into my thirties. I turned 40 this year and I was more interested in heart stories and, and connecting with people. And, you know, I'd had all these incredible conversations with other mothers and, and discovered this openness um, with other women that I'd never experienced before. Because I think you can talk to anyone on the street, any other mother, you're like, hey, are you having a bad day? So am I. And there's this connection. And I guess I just didn't feel that connection anymore. And I wanted to um, go a bit deeper with my writing and my journalism and my editing. Um, I told my dad that I was going to resign. And he said, you're throwing it all away. Everything you've worked for, you're throwing <gasps> <Dad>. away. <laughs> Bit of dad advice. 
No dad. That's no dad. Not what you no. Say. <laughs> and I, I said to him, I'm not dad. I'm content with what I've achieved and I don't have to do the same thing my entire life. I think going back to what we were talking about before, we do sort of feel like we go down one road and it's like, oh, well, we've you know spent so long trying to get here. So we might as well just keep going, keep going. And I just don't see life that way. So um, I actually sort of decided I could not do it. It was just too hard. I missed my child too much. I wanted to be around more. And it just wasn't worth it. Life was too short. So, and I also fell pregnant pretty soon after my first. So that was sort of like <laughs> the decider. So in, in that respect, it sounds like there was more relief in it than pain. Would that be right? There was. I mean, it was tricky because I ended up having to go on bed rest with my um, second pregnancy um, three months into the pregnancy. So wow. it was sort of, I went on another maternity leave prematurely. She then came prematurely. So there was just so many external factors just telling me step away from this world and another, you know, another chapter is pulling you in a different direction. Um, I'll be so eternally grateful for everything that I got to do at Vogue. It was, it was honestly the best. And I, it was sort of the heyday of magazines. It's a very different place now. Magazines are not what they once were. I'm sure there's still lots of Chanel shows that editors are attending. And I like, I, don't get me wrong, quite love to jump on a plane and go see a <laughs> Chanel show. Um, but I was still ripped the sample size jacket. I still could not afford to buy the jacket. So. Yeah. Also what your dad said kind of points to this idea of how we measure success. So exactly, as a yeah. young woman, like I talk about my girlfriends and not so long ago, we were all sitting around, um, we had a spa day together. Oh, how nice. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen all the time, but we really try hard once a year. And one of my girlfriends, who's a lawyer, said something about how she was, she wasn't where she thought she'd be in life and that she was disappointed. And I thought that was really interesting because we grew up in a generation where we were told you can have the career, you can have the children, you can have the relationship, you can have it all, right? Yeah. And so that was the measure of success. And so now we come to our midlife and we have children, we've got friends, we're all quite well, doing well in our own ways. But her measure of success is rooted back in pretty much what your dad was saying. In a career. In a career that you start here and you keep on going. Yeah. That's such a boomer mentality in a way, right? It really is. I remember we ran an event with um, Quentin Bryce, who's just the most phenomenal woman. And she said, um, and she said this many times, but you can have it all, um, just not all at once. And it's so true. It's not possible to cram everything that you want into your life at any one time. There's always like the way I approach it is it's like, what can I sort of exclude from my life um, and deprioritize um, at any one time to achieve what I do want to achieve? And right now it's sort of obviously children, family comes first, um, then work, and then the rest is sort of extra. Um, I would quite like a few more spa days, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I highly recommend them when you can get them in. I'll give you a list when we finish. Um, <laughs> so when it comes to these shifts in our lives, whether it's forced, so you're in a position, let's paint a picture, you're pregnant with your second child 10 months after the birth of your first, which, oh my Lord. I know, I cried when <laughs> I told my husband. And like our first did not come easily. I Yeah, it just... Um... It's a lot because then you've got your... You're pregnant, you're on bed rest, you have a, a child who is still a toddler, still needs you so enormously. Um, so there's lots of big changes happening in your life. 
your first birth was um, not ideal. You're already, like I said, on bed rest. So some could look at that situation and see that you could be in a dark place. Mentally, you could be thinking, what on earth is going on? This is, this is t- not at all what I planned. Were you in that headspace? I definitely was. I was in a very dark place. So I went into labor um, at 23 weeks of my second. Oh, my God. We had to, um, I had to go on um, medication um, and we ended up moving in with my mom and stepdad and nan um, because we had a 10-month-old, well, no, she was one at that time, um, to look after. We Airbnb'd our house out so that we could um, pay for a nanny to look after our um, one-year-old. Um, and I was depressed because every week I was like, is she going to come this week? I didn't know the sex, but is the baby going to come this week? I knew that um, at 28 weeks they had an 80% chance of survival. And I just thought, what if I don't get to 28 weeks? And like, it was just the most surreal thing. I remember um, uh, this woman came over one day, sort of family friend, and she said, oh, Georgie, you seem quite um, anxious. And I said, <laughs> yes, I am anxious. I'm like, I'm not, I'm like, I wasn't supposed to get up at all. I was supposed to get up for a shower and um, maybe to eat some dinner. But most of the time I was just supposed to be lying in bed. I had some great friends who came over and visited me. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really, really yeah, definitely depressing, but just the anxiety that consumed me the whole time was just, you know, it was, it was awful. And I think, um, that carried through after the birth because I had, um, she ended up coming at 33 weeks. Um, and six weeks after the birth, I had a um, postpartum hemorrhage oh my and needed five blood transfusions. So it was just this wow. like whirlwind of bed rest, birth, thinking everything's okay, um, we got a home after three weeks cause she spent, um, three weeks, um, in the special care ward and then to have this postpartum hemorrhage, which felt a lot like my waters were breaking. But I remember at 1am I looked down and I just couldn't believe my eyes cause there was just blood everywhere. Um, so it just, it, I mean, if I think that about yeah, my journey to motherhood, that probably I could write an entire um, book on how that did not go to plan at all. No. When these traumatic things happen to us or when, life gets tough, you sort of go into a place where you're living day to day. You don't have a lot of perspective. But in this book, you talk about being able to mind shift, being able to look at the situation a certain way. And I'm wondering if you can talk to us about that and why it's important and how you can do it when you're literally, like you said, I mean, I cannot imagine waking up like that and the terror you must have felt. But then, of course, after that, you have to keep going day by day, even when you're scared, even when you don't know what's going to happen. You do. So how do you do, how do you look at it to make it through that period? You know, I, I talk a lot about my... Um mum in the book because she's so great at changing my perspective. If I'm ever feeling down, she's very quick to be like, you know, here's all the things that you should be grateful for, which, and she's absolutely right. And I often feel guilty when I complain because there are a lot of people in the world who, you know, have it, um, worse off. Um, so for me with motherhood, yeah, just shifting your perspective and keeping a positive mindset, um, is super, super important. The only way I really think you do that is surrounding yourself with great, funny girlfriends and, you know, family, because they're the ones you can call up a girlfriend after a really bad day and it'll completely change your mood, lift you up, you'll laugh, you'll smile. 
And it really, and as well, if you're spending the whole day with children, often you're not speaking to other adults. I've got a girlfriend at the moment at home with very young children. And she's just feeling this loneliness because there's no other adults around. Um, so for me, yeah, listening to girlfriends, I used to um, have a friend who lived down the road and every Friday night, because we couldn't go out for after work drinks, she would come over and we would have a bottle of wine together in with the bathtub. So the kids would chuck the kids in the bath and just have a glass of wine together and sit there and just chat. And so I think, yeah, the I my mother and my friends and my family definitely really helped change my mindset. And it's that idea, I often say, you know, I'm not completely woo-woo. And sometimes I know people roll their eyes when you talk about positive psychology. But at the end of the day, how can it not work? Like it's a choice, you know, and, and Eastern philosophy will tell you for thousands of years that you are what you think. So if you can look at a situation and certainly making it a better situation, like you said, having a glass of wine with a girlfriend while the kids are making a mess in the bath is like, it is joyful. And finding that joy again is sanity. so important. It is sanity. I think yeah. you need to work out like what makes you feel positive. Like there's, I definitely don't always feel positive. I can, you know, definitely be in, in darker places, um, especially, you know, like hormones, my moods go up and down. Um, but I know that exercise is such a huge one for me. I'm not doing much of it at the moment, but I think working out what lifts you up and just making that a priority is just so important. Again, I know how busy so many mums are, and it's just hard to carve out that time, but it is so important. In the introduction, you have this excellent metaphor about margaritas in life, and I loved it so much. I just think it would be a wonderful place to end this little chat. Can you tell us about that metaphor? Please? So that metaphor, although I'm off margaritas because I had way too many the other weekend <laughs> and I was sick for the first time in like 10 years, so I'm off them. Um, but no, it's about how life is a little like walking in a straight line after drinking 10 margaritas. Um, and I just think there's just so many twists and turns and life takes us in so many unexpected ways. I think about so many of the huge moments in my life and no, they haven't gone to plan, but I've always ended up in a place like I would, would I change my premature births? No, I wouldn't. Would I change having a postpartum hemorrhage? No, because it brought me closer to my children. It taught me, you know, a different, there is a different path to motherhood. It taught me empathy. So I think, um, and all the people that feature in the book, I think they're, they're all very empathetic and they're all very like kind, warm people that I admire. So I think um, those twists and turns in life, those wobbles, which is why I use the metaphor of margaritas, is um, it's what shapes us and what makes us better people. I love that. Georgie, thank you so much for your time Thank today. you so much for having me. That's Georgie Abay. She's the author of Best Laid Plans. We'll put the details of the book in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.